These are a remarkable bird. These birds can regenerate themselves in 10 weeks. Nothing else can do that. Egg to egg is basically nearly 10 weeks. Um, so yeah, they're, um, they're, they're quite remarkable little birds. This is The Producers. I'm Danny Vallant. Fourth generation farmer Charlie Scott was always going to return to the land, but it's fair to say he didn't dream about quail farming as a boy. A combination of luck, nous, trial, error, and endless hard work led to him developing a successful business around his own breed of quail. As he comes towards the end of his farming journey, Charlie looks back on a business that's driven him hard and brought him enormous satisfaction. Uh, my name is Charlie Scott. I've got a property called Redgate Farm. It's also the name of the business. It was just struggle street for my parents. Uh, so the 100 hour weeks weren't all that unusual, really. <laughs> uh, the, uh, yeah, I'd been brought up as a workaholic and um, so uh, uh, to batten down and, uh, and and do the do the hours that was uh, that was a part of the course. But as a kid, it was great fun. You know, we're running around catching snakes and doing all the sort of things that farm kids do, um, shooting rabbits and whatever else. Um, so, uh, um, but yeah, you were out in the big wide open spaces, and uh, I had three sisters, so. Uh, being the only boy, I was uh, pretty well managed to occupy myself most of the time being a nuisance. Yeah, no, it was uh, in my DNA, I think. Uh, even when I travelled overseas extensively, which I'd done, backpacking through Europe, etc., I was always looking at agricultural prospects and seeing what everyone else in the world was doing. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, um, yes, it was very much in my DNA. When Charlie was a boy, his parents ran a dairy farm. How did he go from milk into the world of hatch, match and dispatch? I knew absolutely nothing uh, about poultry and um, the uh, and it was a matter of finding something my father knew nothing about so that I could actually yeah, be given a free hand. It was a friend of mine who was involved in one of the large poultry companies who showed me how they were growing the, the large broiler chickens and what they were doing genetically with them. And so that's what we focused on. And uh, we basically... Um, uh, saw what was happening in the uh, in the broiler industry, and uh, the uh, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a matter of replicating it and um, picking up everyone else's ideas and uh, trying to downscale it to something that was small enough that we could manage here. Well, it was a matter of uh, <sighs> the hatch, match, and dispatch. Basically, as I spoke of earlier, it was a matter of uh, you had to learn about tech, uh, incubation technology. Um, and buying numerous incubators, trying them out, trying different things. We hatched every different sort of bird you could possibly imagine, including emus, mind you. And that was a bit <laughs> that was like something out of Jurassic Park when you were hatching quail in the same incubator. Uh, this big black foot would sort of poke out through the egg, and my God, what the hell is this thing? Uh, and uh, but um, yeah, everyone was a learning curve. Every species is different. Every has a different uh, incubation and. Uh, um, period and uh, humidity requirements, temperature requirements, and everything had to be modified sometimes. It had to be a bit of a compromise. Uh, and uh, then it was a matter of uh, rearing the chicks, keeping them warm enough during the winter months and uh, uh, insulating sheds so that in the summertime they didn't didn't cook, um, learning about ventilation and uh, uh, what to do and what not to do, numerous mistakes. It was all trial and error. 
because nobody could really direct you in most cases um, because what we were doing was, was quite innovative. Uh, and um, as I said, we, uh, we certainly spread ourselves too thin, but that was a part of the, the markets we were trying to supply. Uh, restaurants were fickle. They would change their menus after four weeks and didn't want that product anymore, and so you had to quickly change feet and give them something they did want. Um and um, so we were very much at the mercy of the markets in that regard. And uh, delivery times were always an issue, as all my customers will tell you. Charlie Scott doing deliveries at 11 o'clock at night when they were just walking out the door. Uh, <laughs> so it was a matter of prioritising. You either you know, looked after your birds or looked after your customers. And if you don't look after your birds, you haven't got any customers. So, yeah, that was basically... Uh, um, yeah, that was that was the the rules. You had all the bird work to do, all the farm work to do before you got in the vehicle and and then trotted off to restaurants, all of which were about forty five minutes away from the farm. And uh, the uh, yeah, by the time you're coming home at night, um, yes, you had to pull over beside the road on numerous occasions to uh, get some shut eye. Native quail were a frequent presence on the Scott family farm. But it wasn't until his sister returned from agricultural college with some quail eggs that the tiny birds came to mind as a potential enterprise. I'm a bit of an animal freak in terms of uh, wildlife and uh, I used to love seeing them down in the swamp as a kid. Um, when I was slashing paddocks and things like that on the tractor, you'd see them all the time. And uh, the, um, um, so, yeah, whilst I had a bit of a fascination for them, I wasn't really interested in locking them up in an aviary. Uh, it was more the which species were they, and you know, one's a bit of an unusual colour. There, you know, there's big ones, there's small ones, there's <laughs> and so you know, occasionally a little flock would come up towards the house or something like this, and you're fairly intrigued by them. Then uh, he, um, it wasn't until I think one of my elder sisters had been to Hawkesbury Ag College for a um, for a, uh, some sort of open day, and she came back with some quail eggs and. Uh, that's what got the ball rolling. Uh, I then approached Hawkesbury Ag College find out, uh, to find out which student was doing the doing the work on quail. Uh, they all had different specialties uh, that they were studying, and uh, through him discovered what was going on in Sydney and found producers there that were processing up to three thousand birds a week. And this was just a, a mind blowing um, concept. You know, someone. In you know, someone as close to Sydney was producing those sort of numbers and, and regularly selling them to the uh, through the restaurant trade. So that's what really kicked off the commercial side of it all. It was their reproductive rate which fascinated us? It was the fact that they could reproduce so quickly, and uh, the um, and so comparing that to what chickens were doing, uh, and we could see a fair bit of gener- uh, variation in just birds we could buy locally um, from either pet shops or um, from other um, commercial producers um, and we lined them all up and you could see there were variations in colour, there were variations in uh, size and they're unusual birds and you can actually colour sex them and uh, you can actually you know, pick up a bird without having to delve any deeper, um, <laughs> molest the poor things. Uh, uh, you could actually tell whether they're male or female. So this is a tremendous advantage. And the um, no matter what colour they were, you could you could actually look at them and say that was a male or a female and be 99% correct. So, yeah, there were so many things about them that was distinctly different to other birds. And, um, uh, and you know, they were quite... Uh, 
compatible to intensive um, production. Um, you can house large numbers together. Um, the um, story about a lot of the uh, European uh, concreters that were growing them in their uh, in their garage and processing them in their laundry and selling them to the local delicatessens, uh, that was uh, still going on when we started this business in the 1980s. It was very much a backyard operation except for these few commercial guys that uh, we knew about in Sydney. Uh, day old chicks. It's a seven day a week operation. You, yeah, we'd. Uh, I think we set them on a, set them on a Monday um, for. Uh, they'd have fourteen days in the incubator. Then they'd be uh, on a Wednesday. They'd be transferred through to the hatcher, which is a different machine that runs at a different humidity, different temperature, and they'd hatch on the Friday. And this was every week. Uh, so, yeah, day old chicks out coming out of the incubators every Friday. Uh, so it was routine and, and pretty easy to adjust to. Um, then you had the weekend to get them through their first couple of days. Uh, and after that, it was um, not necessarily plain sailing, um, but uh, because of their small body size, they were far more, uh, far more vulnerable to ambient temperature changes. Um, so, you know, storms, we didn't exactly have... Um, environmentally controlled sheds so you know there were all issues in keeping them warm or keeping them cooler depending on the seasonal variations. As he got deeper into quail farming Charlie realised they are a pretty special little bird compatible with production at a cracking pace egg to egg in 10 weeks and therefore with plenty of commercial potential as a tasty and versatile meat bird. Well these are a remarkable bird um I'll speak about it from a production point of view first. These birds can regenerate themselves in 10 weeks. Nothing else can do that. Um, They lay their eggs basically from six weeks on, 17 days to hatch them, and the, um, uh, yeah, and then uh, it's a matter of, uh, yeah, egg to egg is basically nearly 10 weeks. Um, So... Yeah, they're, um, they're, they're quite remarkable little birds. Uh, so genetically, they're fantastic. A broiler chicken lays its first eggs at 26 or 23 weeks, 20, 23 to 26. Um, so, yeah, it was like um, uh, chickens on steroids um, in terms of your reproductive rate and therefore your genetic increase. And so we, we capitalised on that and uh, the, um, we sourced birds from all over Australia uh, we've included some native species in our uh, uh, production um, because we had them down here on the farm. It was a bit tricky catching them. But, um, uh, yes, it was a matter of uh, creating a, a very large gene pool and uh, selecting the birds uh, on a weight gain performance, essentially. Uh, but weight gain has a negative correlation to fertility, so that's always a bit of a, a, bit of a problem in any breeding program. The, uh, but in terms of the meat, the meat to bone ratio is far superior to chickens. Um, they're only got tiny bones in relation to their body size, so if you pack the meat onto them, it's all meat. And the Australians like de- Australians liking decent amounts of protein in their diet. Uh, we saw that as an opportunity to take these miserable little things that were coming, in, or basically the Europeans and the Asians were used to, and producing something that was more accessible to the Australian palate. Part of the journey, it was um, yeah, it was on the menu most nights at Redgate. <laughs> you always had damaged birds, and so uh, you uh, go very quick to bone them out. And uh, yes, they um, they were very much part of the stable diet at Redgate. 
and uh, we did the, we had them uh, pan fried, we had them smoked, we uh, we had them butterflied, barbecued, marinated in a variety of different ways, roasted, you name it, we did it, and uh, the um, yeah, the delicious little birds, um, and the process we um, we didn't actually bleed the birds, so they tended to have a bit more colour and game to them than the uh, the most of the other commercial operations. So uh, yeah, we we developed different techniques that were all approved of, and um, uh, yeah, so yeah, our bird was a little bit different in not only the size but also the uh, the colour, flavour, texture. Innovative businesses are never easy, and Charlie and his wife stretched themselves thin and got into serious debt. One fortuitous phone call helped turn things around. Yeah, no, it was totally fortuitous. Um, um, I got a phone call out of the blue, and uh, he, uh, uh, this, this person said, look, um, I've just had uh, uh, quail at uh, Fire Door, which is a restaurant in Sydney, and uh, we had your Jurassic quail down there, which is what we labelled them. That was our um, our copyright name. And the uh, uh, and look, I'm looking at setting up a uh, a facility up here in Toowoomba. Uh, we um, uh, we were thinking pheasants. Uh, we were thinking other game birds. Um, what do you think? What can you tell me about it? Um, and so I just uh, downloaded the uh, um, uh, the story to Duncan Brown, who was the CEO uh, of this company called Brisbane Valley Protein, and he bought the story essentially, um, and uh, about why these were the largest commercial quail in the world, and uh, the uh, you had a massive export opportunity if you wanted wanted to utilise it. And uh, so this is exactly what he did. It was a total game changer, yeah, in every way, shape and form. None of Charlie's kids are keen to stay on the farm, but as he heads towards retirement, he's keen to hand Redgate over to someone. Maybe you're a quail farmer in the making. Well, I don't want to leave the farm, personally, and I'll go out in the box, I dare say, but I'm quite happy to lease the operation to somebody else that wants the business. Uh, it's very profitable. Um, the... Uh, it's minimum labour input and uh, good returns, but uh, you know I'm uh, what 67 thereabouts this year I think. Uh, not that I'm counting, and um, yeah, you know I'm uh, uh, yeah I have an expiry date like everybody else. So, um, um, but they yeah they're not interested at all in the, in the farming aspects of the business, um, and yeah. Um, that's the way it is. Uh, a lot of farms end up that way, I think. It's been a tough journey, but it's been fun along the way and worked out well in the end. Charlie reflects on his time at Redgate. Well, uh, property's in better shape than when, I, when we started here in many regards. Uh, the birds have been a, a really interesting journey. Uh, they've taken me... Um, yeah, they, they've... <laughs> Produced a, um, a very good business profile. We, you know, made a few major mistakes, um, particularly with you know getting involved in catering, etc. Um, well, I should have just stayed on the farm. <laughs> that was certainly a regret. Um, but as for the rest of it, no, I've uh, life's been good. Life is good, and uh, um, 
yeah, there's been plenty of ups and plenty of downs, and uh, but mostly, mostly ups. You know, we've got to deal with the best, um, the top end restaurants in the country. You know, Tony Bilson and uh, uh, Matt Moran and um, uh, Peter Gilmore. Um, uh, fantastic restaurants up here in the in the valley. The old Georgian Dragon in East Maitland was a was a leading one for a long time. And there's Robbie Molinos out there at Bacolban, and he's a two two hat restaurant, um, Muse restaurant out here as well. Um, yeah, we we've got to do with the the top end of the food industry, and uh, met some really interesting people. Uh, so um, yeah, it was. Uh, it was basically um, we we created the trends in many cases with the uh, with the poultry we could produce um, and made available to these restaurants. It wasn't always didn't always work out well. Um, sometimes the product wasn't as good as it should have been, um, but it didn't stop us trying. And uh, uh, yeah, um, we've been here in interesting times. That uh, the restaurant scene's changed markedly. Um, game meats taking a taking a step down uh, but um, yeah now we, we deal now we're more with uh, Asian clientele um, and Chinese customers are by far our biggest and um, yeah restaurants are actually taking very much a back foot on, on what we uh, on what we started with trend maker genetic tinkerer hatcher of eggs and plans Charlie Scott has seen a lot in his journey from cows to quail By putting more meat on birds, he's put quail on more restaurant menus and in more home kitchens, first in New South Wales and now around the world. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Danny Vallant. Stay tuned as we talk to some of Australia's best farmers, makers and growers. Follow us on Instagram at Producers Podcast or contact us via deepintheweeds.com.au.